0: Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and my co-host is Chris Kay. On this week's episode of Debating Metal, we're going to discuss a topic that's been a hot-button subject for me lately. This week, we're talking about band splits.
1: Member turnover is nothing new in the world of bands and rock and roll. For one reason or another, be it ego, money, drugs, alcohol, or any combination of said vices, not all bands stay together for their entire careers. Some bands even have no original members. But for the purpose of this discussion, we're going to talk about bands whose members left the band, either fired or of their own volition, and decided to start another band with the same name. A few weeks back during our new wave of British Heavy Metal episodes,
0: there were several bands that had offshoots that tried to hijack the names of their previous bands. That was the inspiration for this conversation, and we'll dive into a few of those bands that had to have a judge decide their fate and more. We're talking about band splits. So Chris, we have... We picked four specific bands that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, but there's going to be some honorable mentions at the end, and we're going to touch base on those uh, later on. But th- this issue that I have with these band splits, and so to kind of give a, a little bit more details on what the intro had, these band splits are someone is, leaves the band, someone's fired, and they literally say... I'm going to take the name with me or they say, you know what, I'm going to start my own band and then they just decide to name it the same band but maybe they use a different logo, maybe they use their first name or maybe they don't even bother to change anything at all and just try to hijack the band completely. So, that really grated my nerves when we were talking about it during the New Wave of British Heavy Metal episodes. So, we decided to have this conversation today.
1: I mean, uh, some of these We've known about for a long time. Um, I remember watching that metal show years ago and listening to uh, Jack Russell talk about his situation. And I think we're going to get into that at some point tonight. But, um, you know, some of these, it's it's just kind of a disservice to the, the, the fans but at the same time, I get where the band members are coming from. It's their livelihood. It's what they do. And they just don't get along. So there's there's a lot of reasons this kind of stuff happens. It's just really unfortunate for the fans that it does. You know, I, I get that to some degree.
0: But, like, for instance, you know, a couple, one of the bands that we're going to talk about, you know, the singer is fired from the band. Okay. It's not like nobody knows who he is. All right, so he sits there and says, well, you know, screw this. I'm going to screw these guys and I'm going to start my own version of the same exact band. So I'm going to take... And basically, I got fired, but I'm going to hire my own musicians and I'm going to call this band the same name and throw my legacy out the window, although I think I'm doing my legacy a, 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 a great service. In reality, you're not. And so the
1: band... Decided to stay together. When you said this, I I kind of thought about like, what if David Lee Roth had done that, and he formed his own Van Halen? (laughs) (laughs) It's Van Halen. No, but there's there's no no Van Halen. There's no Van Halen.
0: (laughs) It's Van Roth. I don't know. It's just things like that are just is irritating to me. All right, so let's go ahead and hit the first band. Then you know we're just gonna smack them upside their heads. Um, so the first band we're going to talk about tonight is Zaxxon. all right and we touched upon them a little bit during the the, the episodes a few weeks ago but in this one we're just kind of maybe put a few more details on it and kind of get everybody to understand what happened to those bands so why don't you go ahead and start it off
1: all right so um kind of as we mentioned in that episode uh but let's start fresh here um saxon started in 1977 they've played ever since uh they've put out 24 albums in that time uh the original lineup was biff byford on vocals graham oliver on guitars paul quinn on guitars steve dawson on bass and pete kill pete gill on drums pete kill that's that's a cool name um <laughs> so um they played together for a few albums and then pete gill ended up leaving um then I want to say it was uh, Steve Dawson was next, and then eventually Graham Oliver would leave. Paul Quinn and Biff Byford have been in the band ever since it started. Um, so this was kind of a, a, a you know, bitter issue, I suppose, uh, because Graham Oliver would leave around 1993, 1994. They recorded an entire album without him, didn't even in, include him on the... I mean, they, they included him on the... the liner notes saying he was in the band, but he he wasn't active. He wasn't even there. Um, And then he was gone after that. So, um, Oliver, or Graham Oliver, and uh, Steve Dawson would meet up and form a a band under their original name, which was uh, Son of a Bitch. And then they would um, tour. They had Pete Gill join that band. And then, um, you know, they basically just tried to take over the saxon name didn't then there was a lawsuit that that kind of came about and they ended up losing it they could not call themselves saxon anymore um and it really set a, a precedent for bands that were like if it was in bad faith if they were trying to take an active band's name um then it it protected them a little bit more carefully so things in the future there had to be some precedent set like you had to be touring as that band you had to have that that information there um you know members of the band etc excuse me etc duration so there was a lot of things that came into play that said no dudes you you are not saxon these guys have been playing since 1977 you formed you know 20 years later even though you were members of the band this doesn't count so that's at least good um you know they went on to have their own career uh it was two albums one was under son of a bitch then the other one was under oliver dawson saxon um but then they had some various other live stuff you know not the output that that you know, the original band was actually still putting out 24 albums with really consistent releases. Um, it's just it, it was kind of sad to see. And then eventually, um, Steve Dawson, I guess it was last year or the year before, yeah, last year, uh, decided to retire. So that version of that band is gone. But um, you know, it was it was really kind of an underhanded thing. It was kind of nasty, like how um, Journey. You know those guys that that ended up getting fired from the band uh, Ross Valerie and who was the other one? Steve Smith. Steve Smith that's right. They were trying to kind of take the band from from inside out. Stuff is kind of nasty like that so you hate to see that and it doesn't look good it doesn't you know show any positive light on them in that way.
0: You know it's funny um, that you mentioned that because just recently like within the last week or so some more information came out about that particular incident that involved Steve Perry as well. That's true. Mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty interesting. And, and, and uh, we're not going to talk about Journey here because you know this is a, a heavy metal debate type of thing. But in, in essence, Steve Perry was part of the, the, the situation to try and usurp the power from Neil Sean and, and um, Jonathan Cain. So that's real interesting. But that's not what we're here to talk about tonight. So my beef here with with Zaxon and and Oliver Dawson Zaxon, I'm going to say it like this. If they had left it as son of a bitch, if they had left it as son of a bitch, I would never have a problem with this. Because you know what? Yes, it was the original name of Zaxon, but Zaxon was no longer under that, that moniker. So by all means, make it available. Use it. Go ahead. That was, I mean... Dawson and Oliver were probably originally part of Son of a Bitch, so you know, and and Paul and Pete Gill, so guess what? It's all yours. Have it. But don't, you know, they didn't have to steal the Zaxon name, but they did, they tried, and you know, as, as the judge pointed out, it was in bad faith. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, in 1995, you leave the band, or 93, right? This is 15 years after or 16 years after you start the band. And I don't know between one thing or another, whether, you know, he, they were no longer getting along with Biff, which is most likely the case, you know, all of a sudden, you know, maybe Biff's trying to take more control. Maybe Biff's trying to do more songwriting. He's not liking the ideas, whatever the situation is between the three of them or the whole band or whatever it was, you know, uh, Graham left followed by Steve well, actually, Steve was the one that left first. No,
1: no, no. Pete Gill left in '81, well, then Steve Dawson left in '86, and then uh, Graham Oliver was fired in 1995.
0: Yeah, I got no qualm with Pete Gill because he, you know, he he left because of a hand injury. So, he you know, yeah. he joined the band. I mean, I, I, it, it seemed to me, or just on the surface, it seems like one of those situations where he just kind of was going along for the ride, but it yeah. was more about Oliver and Dawson. So you know Dawson gets fired in 86 for one reason or another and then you know then Graham gets fired in 93 and official makes they make it official in 95 whatever however it went down okay you're talking many years later you're talking a bunch I mean for da- for for Steve Dawson it was you know nine years okay, that's still a long time you know it's pretty much a decade you know and then you're talking about six five six years later you know Oliver leaves. Okay, but that doesn't give you the right to sit there and say, oh, I'm going to steal this name that's been active at that point for over 15 years. So, and you know, they deserve to lose that. You know, and then the thing is, so what are you doing with the name? Because you put out an album under Son of a Bitch, and then you don't really release a, a, a new music album for several years after that. You've toured this entire time and all you've done for the most part is put out one album of new music under your name and that album was okay. It, it sounded like classic Zaxxon but the rest of all the music you've done is you've either toured or you've put out live albums. You really haven't done anything to your legacy let alone the legacy of Zaxxon or, or Oliver Dawson's Zaxxon. To me, it was just it's kind of wasted energy.
1: I mean, yeah. you put up, what, four or five live albums in the course of, of 20 years. Like, that's just put something else out other than live albums. Come I on. mean, the, the point being is if you're going to
0: steal the name, then be active with it. I mean, look mm-hmm. at look at Zaxx. I mean, you know, 24 albums in their 45-year their career or whatever it is, you know, now. Um, that's a long time. And that's a lot of freaking albums. Let me tell you, I mean, yeah. that is a lot of music to put out, you know. And you know, more power to him. I mean, Biff Byford is, is you know his kick-ass vocalist. I mean, he's still singing as good as today as he did back then. The band is great. You know, what are you gonna do? Uh, it's just one of those things where I I just did not that set me off, when, and and I had a rant about it on the show. You know, it's. I, I don't I didn't like it you know and I still don't like it but now that they've retired you know good riddance goodbye see you have a nice day, <laughs> you know? I mean I I don't know I,
1: I just I sound like a dick <laughs> you know like like just being- I don't think so it's it's it it did not come across in a positive fashion they're coming they're they're basically inactive. And then they come up and they're like, you know what? We wanna we want the name. It doesn't matter that you're already still performing as this big. So it causes confusion with fans because they're going expecting to see Saxon, right? right? They're not going they're not going expecting to see Son of a Bitch, which they, they might know who that is, or they might not, depending on the fact that, you know, that the name's not as big. See, like but for it instance, says Saxon, if- so they're expecting to see Biff sing, right? Right, but it, like
0: for instance, if they take "son of a bitch," if they keep the "son of a bitch" name, right, they could have easily put in the mo- on the on the marquee or on the advertisement featuring former members of Zaxxon. That would have been cool. I'm cool yeah. with that. You know what? Because that's what
1: a lot of people do. You know. I don't know it it depends because that can have a negative thing to it as well, where people go, Oh these are just guys like living off of the name of another you know there was somebody they used to be part of, and then we you know we write an episode about it
0: well <laughs> yeah but what's what's worse for them? you know, oh they're living off a legacy, right well you know yeah. what granted it's a it for 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 one guy, it's a ten year legacy for the other guy, it's a fifteen year I get that. You know, it's a hell of a lot longer than Dave Evans' one single legacy. Oh, you know, that lasted six months. But you know, do I? I think yes. I, I, I understand where you're coming from when you sit there and say, "Oh, well, maybe you know it might have a negative connotation because oh, these are guys that are former members." But you know what? If you go out there as a, as a fan and you say, "Oh, that's Zaxxon," and it's not Zaxxon and it's not Biff singing, well, that's shit, just as bad. I have yeah. that's worse to me.
1: No, this, I'm thinking more in terms of the time than now. Like now, I think a lot of metal fans they're cool with it now. Like, but then, the, it might have been different.
0: Oh yeah, well the, the 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 information age makes things so much different now. You know, you yeah. know that when you go to see, and well, and that's not true because there are some people that just have their heads in the sand and they still don't know yeah. certain things. So you know, it is what it is. All right, so that uh, brings us to the next band that we're going to talk about, which is Queensryche. Now, this one is this one's a little bit more near and dear to my heart, um, and I'm going to be just as vocal and just as annoyed by this one as I was for probably more than, than the, the one I was for Zaxxon because uh, in the end, my gut feeling, you know, I, I've been a fan of this band since 1983. Three eighty four, I guess you could say, and it just broke my heart to see where this band was going, the direction it was being led in by Jeff Tate, and uh, where where it ended up. So let's let's start from the beginning here. Um, We all know who Queensrÿch is, or most of us should know Queensrÿch. It was a band started in nineteen eighty out of Seattle, Washington. The original lineup consisted of Jeff Tate on vocals, Michael Wilton on guitars, Chris DeGarmo on guitars, Eddie Jackson on bass, and Scott Rockenfield on drums. Over the years, Jeff Tate and his family, his wife, Susan Silver, and their, and her daughter, Miranda, took more and more control of the band. And um, Jeff himself took more and more control of the songwriting, after, especially after the departure of Chris DeGarmo. Um, and he kind of put the band in, a, a, for lack of a better term, a more easy listening style than their typical prog metal style they, that they had. They
1: lost a lot of the progressive sound.
0: Oh yeah, they, they lost the progressive sound, they lost their edge, all sorts of things. So, um, come 2012, um, the band um, was just basically fed up. And they had themselves uh, – well, actually, before before 2012, I think it was in the beginning or at the end of 2011, beginning of 2012, somewhere around there, um, the band decided that they wanted to play a show because they were basically told that they were on hiatus, they weren't going to tour, they weren't going to record. Jeff told them that they weren't going to do that. And um, so they, they had a long break. And then over the, the holidays – they decided to form a uh, play a show or two shows I think it was under the name Rising West and they invited a uh, singer Todd Latoury to sing for them um, between one you know connection and another Todd ended up getting this this singing gig. I remember when that happened, and damn was that amazing when I heard Todd whip out Queen of the Reich. I saw. I thought, wow, this is great. They're going to have a side project that's playing old Queensrÿche songs. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. And then, and then, um, I, 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 they had a band meeting four months later, April twelfth, two thousand twelve. Jeff Tate did not attend that meeting, and basically, the band fired Tate's stepdaughter Miranda and his wife Susan as the band manager, and and Miranda was running the fan club at the time. And essentially, you know, the they basically you know, the guy, the members of the band, and this, we're talking about Wilton Jackson and Rockinfield, felt that they no longer had a voice in the band. And Parker Lundgren was also part of this, but he was, I mean, he's not, he wasn't a full fledged member, so you know, he's, he had a voice, but his voice only counted for so much. Well. Uh, Jeff Tate didn't take kindly to that Was all upset They have another meeting There's a confrontation You know Jeff spits at, at, at Scott Rockenfield He th- throws a punch And you know Knocks over the drums And all sorts of stupid shit You know Childish crap From a 50 year old man Or whatever his age was at the time Um, And They basically fire him And they said Alright you're out You're done Goodbye And so they Um they reformed basically with Todd LaTorre as their singer. Jeff Tate went his way, but he did not go quietly. Um, he basically sued the band for uh, wrongful firing. Um, so they were having all sorts of injunctions. They sued each other, and basically they were told, "Okay, until we settle this in court, you guys can become you, you guys are, are queensrÿch." And you've got, and, 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 until we can figure this out in court. So for two years, or almost two years, there were literally two full-named versions of Queensryche. One with Michael Wilton, Scott Rockenfield, Eddie Jackson, Parker Lundgren, and Todd LaTorre on vocals. And Jeff Tate had his own version of a band um, that originally started out with Jeff Tate, Kelly Gray, a former Rake guitar player, Rudy Sarzo, Robert Sarzo, and Simon Wright, everyone knows the former ACDC drummer. Okay, that was the original Jeff Tate version of Queensryche that lasted for a couple years. Well, the final injunction came down. Jeff lost the case. Um, Wilton Jackson and and uh, Rockenfeld were able to keep the name Queensryche tour under that name. And uh, the only thing that Jeff Tate got out of it. Which I found really weird was he was allowed to tour and be able to perform Operation Mind Crime in its entire, Operation Mind Crime one and two in its entirety. Now that re- in reality doesn't mean shit because anybody could do anything in terms of touring and performing a show because they're paying the songwriters
1: and the artists. So yeah, but kind of weird. I don't think he has to pay royalties to to play those particular albums. Okay,
0: I guess so so he's he's entitled to not having to pay. Okay, I get that. Um but there's always regardless of that, there's always some some sort of sync rights that get paid by the venues and stuff like that. So that, yeah, that's yeah. beyond that's beyond his control. So that's the ultimate settlement that went down with Queensrink but talk about bad faith. Here's what happened during that those two years. Both bands tour, and Jeff Tate, being the dick that he had, he must have had some inside information where the band was touring because, let's say, for instance, what happened here in Houston. The Queensryche announced a gig at at the Concert Pub North in Houston in, let's say, July 1st, okay? All of a sudden, Jeff Tate's version of Queensryche shows up June 1st at the same venue. Well, shit, now you got two Queensryche in less than one month playing the same venue, the same city. You know, who's going to get the money? Who You know, who's going to pay out the money? So you, you got fans, well, you know, Queensryche was just here in June. Why am I going to go back in July? Yep. You know? And then on top of that, because promoters didn't know, they were using pictures of Queensryche with Jeff Tate on it during the, uh, the the real Queen's Rikes touring, that Jeff Tate was basically usurping. I'm like, holy shit, that is just some fucked up shit. So then, during that time, they both released albums. And what did Jeff Tate do? He beat them to the finish line by releasing his album two months ahead of time. And and it, uh, and it sounds like it because it's very rushed. Ooh, it's it's terrible i mean it's badly produced and they to the point where they had to remix it and re-release it a couple years later and even that didn't sound that good and the songs were terrible not that all progressive and then the band releases their queensreich self-titled album and it's it really should have been an ep um which they couldn't have released an ep with the same name but or they could have it doesn't matter um but it was a 30 minute album but it has some really damn good songs on it that when you heard it you said this is Queensrÿche like you hear Jeff's version it was like that's not Queensrÿche it's some guy singing it, it was just it could have been
1: anybody the only you- good song on that is that cold song and it's it's not bad it's really not but that's about it everything else is is pretty mediocre and but it, even that song is not written in the in the form of Queensrÿche. No, it's not. It just sounds like a Jeff Tate solo song.
0: Right. With with the Queensrÿche album that came it out It sounds I mean, like old Queensrÿche.
1: Exactly. It sounds like
0: classic Queensrÿche and it was great. So in 2014, the, basically the lawsuit got settled and the band's, you know, Queensrÿche went their separate way and and um Jeff Tate went his own way, basically coming up with 10,000 different incarnations of Wreck and opera. Well, it was no longer Queensrack operation. Mind crime was the name of his band, which so original, um, you know, so he, he just, now he tours as Jeff Tate and he does his own stuff. That to me is more, um, acceptable. You're Jeff Tate. He can say he's the former singer of Queenswreck, He's allowed to say that. That's great. That's that's the way it should be.
1: Yeah, I, you know, but, I would have respected him a lot more if he just left and went as Jeff Tate and you know, you know toured his music, whatever he wanted to do. He could play Queens Rights music, you know, write new stuff. But I would have respected it a lot more than the way it was handled. He just came off as just being, you know, angry, bitter, and trying to sabotage other people, you know. And maybe that's maybe that's exactly what it was, but yeah. but. Have a little more grace. He
0: was a douche.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like I said, I mean,
0: you and I, I think right before the pandemic hit, you and I were going to go see him
1: just so we could compare because we had already seen Queensryche
0: a month before the pandemic. I
1: was actually very disappointed that that didn't work out because I wanted to see, in contrast what the difference was. And I know he can still sing pretty well. He doesn't have the same pipes that he used to, but that doesn't mean he's not good. But I just wanted to see what the the vibe of the show was, how he conducted himself, everything, and I was very disappointed that that didn't end up happening. And yes, as
0: a, as was I. Um but also um another thing that um we kind of we didn't get the chance to make that comparison. That was disappointing. I agree with you. Um, but now, you know, I'm almost more accepting of what he does now because he just does it under his name. Agreed. Um, but actually I saw some video footage of him the other day and he actually performed queen of the Reich, which is amazing in and of itself because he had not performed it in years with Queens, Yeah. Um, and I think, um, Hearing Todd sing it uh, kind of gave him a boost in the ass a little bit, but he was able to pull it off for the most part. Um, the band itself didn't seem all that great. You know, they, they were able to pull off the parts, but it just didn't have that same energy Yeah. Um, when, I, when I saw the video. But I also saw it on and listened to it on my computer screen, which sucks ass. So... <laughs>
1: It's one of those things when you are one member and you don't have the fan base that you used to. You can form a band, but hiring guys that are talented, yeah, it's definitely possible. But being able to pay them on the level that they need to be paid is also difficult. So there's a balance that has to be struck. Like a lot of these guys that go and form their own solo band or something like that, they, they, you know, when metal was bigger than it is now, then it may have been more possible to hire better musicians. You know, like David Lee Roth goes off. He gets Billy Sheehan. He gets, uh, you know, uh, Steve Vai. Um, but th- those didn't last either. They went on and did other things because they can't stick around and just be part of a, you know, a, 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 backing band, basically. Right, you can't so, be a hired gun forever. Yeah. So that's what ends up happening with these guys. Is they yeah they they go out and play but you watch say sebastian bach you know he can still sing to some degree he's he's older he has a, a deeper sound than he used to but he's not going to hold on to the top musicians to play with him because they're going to move on to do other things not everybody can
0: be the conspirators yes you know My- miles kennedy's band who Basically the backing band for Slash Which it's just a cool name Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators <laughs> Yeah um, Okay so it's enough of Queensryche for now uh, <laughs> We're going to move on to our Next band that we're going to talk about And uh, that's LA Guns um, You want to Take that one?
1: I don't want to but I will Um <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm not a, a big L.A. Guns fan, but I, I'm familiar with their history, uh, mostly through watching, you know, uh, music documentaries and that kind of stuff on, on uh, the subject of the the scene. Right. Um, but L.A. Guns formed in 1983. Uh, they've been around since then. You know, no no real breakups, just lots of member changes. Um, there are lots cl- Yes. Lots. <laughs> their classic lineup which we're going to talk about because they had some guys that were around before they recorded um, including Axl Rose famously that's how, where Guns and Roses came from so the classic lineup again was Phil Lewis on vocals Tracy Guns on guitars, Mick Cripps on guitars uh, Kelly Nichols on bass and Steve Riley on drums Um, that was the I would say the classic lineup they recorded the most famous albums um, put out 14 albums since then Um, but then there is two different versions of the bands we're going to talk about that popped up over this time so uh, Tracy Guns would form his own version of the band in 2006 Uh, That version recorded no albums, but it was Tracy Guns on guitar, Paul Black, who was the vocalist before Phil Lewis, uh, but never recorded anything. Um, Then Jeremy Guns, no relation, on bass. And uh, Nick. Yeah, that's so
0: odd, right? You know, two guys named Guns and they're not related.
1: Well, so. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're made up names to begin with. Both of them are made up names, and I think Jeremy Guns' name has to do with. Tracy Guns. He calls him his quote-unquote son, but he's not his son. Uh, um, so, Nikki Alexander on drums, and he was the drummer before Steve Riley.
0: Um, so it's almost like an original lineup kind of reunion.
1: Kind of. Um, but this, but even then, those guys weren't the originals of those positions, right. which is kind of funny. Um, but that lineup didn't last particularly long. Um, and then Jizzy Pearl would come on board to Tracy Guns lineup at one point, um, and he had been briefly a vocalist for the real LA Guns. Um, and I hate to say real LA Guns, but I mean, that is the truth. The lineage is there, right? Um, because Tracy Guns had left the band. That's just a fact. That doesn't mean he he carries the, the same original lineage of the band. Um, so then there's another version we're going to talk about, and this is the Steve Riley version. And this formed in 2018 and they lasted until 2021 as L.A. Guns until their court suit, you know, got settled and he had to retitle their name uh, Riley's L.A. Guns. They've released one album as Riley's L.A. Guns. Um, so this I would say that the, the lineup that we should mention would be with the recording lineup, uh, because there was a singer before. But um, Kurt, Kurt Frolick, sorry, Kurt. Frolic, that's a hard name to say for me for some reason um, on vocals and guitars Scotty Griffin on guitars, Kelly Nichols on bass so you know from the classic lineup of of LA Guns and Steve Riley on drums Um, so man there's a lot to unpack here because you know basically um, the band had gone through lots and lots of changes up until that point but Band members not getting along, etc. So it really, I mean, let's talk about, I want to say it was 19, uh, 1995, Phil Lewis left the band. And so they had two or three, four different other singers in that time before he rejoined the band. Um, by that time, you know, Tracy Guns and him weren't hundred percent getting along. You have Steve Riley, pretty much the most consistent member of the band throughout that time, other than Phil Lewis. Um, Mick Cripps had already left by that time, so I mean, just about thirty different members, really, realistically, you know, through this time, and that's a lot of chaos. But they're still consistent. They're still existing, and that's. That's the other thing, like, you, you know, Tracy leaves the band, decides that he's going to form um, another band under the name of the Tracy Guns Band. Then he s- decides all of a sudden, you know what? I, I owned L.A. Guns. You know, Steve owns L.A. Guns, but I also own L.A. Guns. And it's my name. I'm Tracy Guns. So I'm going to form L.A. Guns as well. And we're going to tour under there. They, under, they even got a, a record contract um, started going but things just never worked out for them and he ended up dissolving that version of the band in 2012 so only 6 years so that all happens and then he decides you know we're going to play a couple shows together with uh, with Phil Lewis so they, they play F- LA Guns Phil Lewis plus Tracy Guns now this is just those two guys and then they start reforming a relationship, but then Tracy says, well, "I don't want to play with Steve. So if I'm going to rejoin the band, I don't want Steve there, and I don't want this this Stacy Blades there, right? So there there's all these this back and forth of you know drama of I don't want to play with this guy, I don't, you know i we're not buddies, I don't want to do this, and then they end up reforming, uh, the I guess." Basically the, the classic lineup and then they kick Steve Riley out. So he owns the name He has equal ownership of the name to Tracy guns, and that's where that came from So while I'm not a fan of you know, if if you're just the drummer and you're touring as as a band I, I'm not really a big fan of that I also understand that he had ownership of the band and he also kind of got backstabbed by Phil Lewis so there's this drama that's in this, all of this back and forth, and it's just dis- kind of disgusting to watch as a fan. And it makes you, one, not want to listen to the band, either any our incarnation, one, two, or three. But, you know, if you're a, b- a big enough fan, I guess you can stick with it. But t- to me, it's too much drama.
0: Man, I tried to listen to an album today, and I couldn't tell which, well, I could easily tell it wasn't Phil Lewis on vocals, but it was that Renegades album that came out in 2020, and I'm like, this doesn't even sound like LA Guns, mm-hmm. like, like the 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 thought process behind Stephen Riley forming his own band or his own version of LA Guns with a guy who doesn't even sound remotely close to Phil Lewis. I don't understand that because Well, I quite don't honestly, I
1: don't know what the first guy sounded like. His name was Jacob Button and Bunton. I said Button, didn't I? So <laughs> No, it's probably this guy Kurt. No, no, the the recording is Kurt, but I don't know if the first guy that they hired sounded more like Phil Lewis. So maybe that's where it started, but then you know how it goes when you when one guy leaves, then you hire a new person and they may not be exactly the same. And and maybe he didn't want to have exactly the same either, but continue.
0: No, the the one thing that I can tell, um, Steve Riley, if I'm not mistaken, was fired from Wasp when he was in Wasp, right before he joined LA Guns. He,
1: he was. I mean, everyone was pretty much fired from Wasp at right. some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so that, you know, he, then he joins... L.A. Guns,
0: um, and he really, you know, he's there together for the first few albums, and, and he even left during the Vicious Circle album, which I think is their, is their fourth album, and he only played one song in that album. So he was out for a bit. The, 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 the problem I have, and, and here's the funny thing, because on the surface, to what everybody can see out there, L.A. Guns did everything equally among all five members. So when they wrote songs, although Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis were the main songwriters, okay, Kelly Nichols, Mike Cripps, and, or Mick Cripps, and Steve Riley got credit. They all got equal credit across the board. Now, that's the way some people like to do it. Some bands, you know, the business arrangements, so that people don't get pissed, we're going to go ahead and do this across the board equal. Guns N' Roses did it on their first album, first album only. Okay, and yeah, um, and then you know, and there've been bands throughout history that have done that, you know, and that's great. You Rush know, is a good example. Rush is a good example, but it, even in that case, Rush is, it, you know, it was lyrics by Peart music by you know uh, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. That works out fine. It was that was a three way split, mm-hmm. but that 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 wasn't. Uh, they weren't trying to hide that that uh, Getty Lee didn't play or didn't, you know, uh, write music. They weren't trying to hide that Alex Lifeson didn't write music. They just flat out said, you know, Neil Peart was the lyricist. But, you know, I'm pretty positive, just saying, that Stephen Riley probably doesn't know how to write or play guitar. I mean, I, I could be wrong. Maybe I am. But... You know, he's writing a a drum beat and melody, yeah, but that's not necessarily what songwriting is about. Regardless of that, it was just that was just the way that that was their business arrangement. So when you look across the board, you say every album. Well, look, shit, you know, I'm going to go to court. I'm going to say, well, look, look, your honor, every album has my name. I'm a songwriter on every single song. You know, so on the surface, the judge goes, "Oh, yeah, you are. Look at that, you know," and so. That's how he ends up getting
1: away with certain things, but he also the f- owned ha- the name. Well, like he had, and equal that's the thing. That's the
0: thing that you know. pisses off Tracy Guns, yeah. because he went ahead and got the got into that ownership. Well, how and why we don't know. Okay, yep. because with all when 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 you know, quick little business thing for people listening out there, when a band forms okay, that band becomes incorporated. That band, however members there are, so if there are five members in the band, all five members are an equal partner, 20%, four members, 25, so forth, right? They all have an equal say as to what goes on with the band dealings. When a band member leaves, there are different options you go. Um, In most famously, Metallica has had several bass players over their course of their career, okay? When uh, Cliff passed away and Jason um, became the bass player, it went from being Creeping Death Incorporated, which uh, was the original um, band with... Well, not original, but it was James, Lars, Kirk, and and, uh, Cliff. And I believe it became Metallica Incorporated when Jason was in the band. Now, that was for all business dealings with Jason in the band. So anything that had Cliff was completely separate. That was under Creeping Death. And then um, I think there was a small percentage that they paid uh, Also, So I think everybody had like 24% across the board. And then that, that last few percentage went to Cliff. When Robert joined the band, I, it, they, and then they tell you in the movie, Some Kind of Monster, that there, there's a certain percentage that uh, – goes to Robert and a certain percentage that's, you know, uh, the rest of the band. And and they break it down that way. But that's how things work. So that's how somehow, some way, Stephen Riley was able to acquire partial ownership of the name L.A. Guns. And a lot of times, that shit's done behind people's backs. Like Rob Halford owning the name Judas Priest. Yeah, Some people, like... I can't remember what's what's there's some famous band out there where like the like the bass player was the only person who had his name on the band and they basically had to rent it from him. I can't remember who the band was. That sounds familiar, but, but yeah, I don't remember. You know, but but it's like all of a sudden, you know, the band breaks up or some member changes. Like, oh well, you can't use the name because I got ownership of it, but you can license it from me and pay me
1: very well. Well, an example of that would be uh, Children of Bottom remember Alexi yes right Alexi gave up his rights yeah so he ended up not being able to tour as children of bottom which I think he respected as well because he he did respect the other members of the band but regardless he had to come up with another name so I mean logos are different because like the Judas Priest logo is owned by by Rob Halford
0: so you saw when Robert wasn't there they had to use a different logo um Mm -hmm. what was the other band that had that used a different logo um uh, not Iron Maiden, but um, God damn it. I forgot who it was, but someone you know there someone was in the band and they literally had to change the logo until they came back to the band and they 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 brought the old logo back. Um, things like that are all all over the music business. In LA Guns' case, it's just so, so like you said, it's disgusting because there's so many different players, but the main players are Stephen Riley, Tracy Guns, and Phil Lewis. And mostly just Guns and Riley that are uh, at each other's throats. I mean, shit. I mean, uh, Tracy Guns went on that metal show and basically called out Stephen Riley. He did.
1: I remember that. You know, so
0: so you know, I to me Stephen Riley going out there. Yes, he had every legal right to do so, and he had. Up until last year, every legal right to release an album under the name. But again, same thing that Jeff did. You're putting out an album. It doesn't sound like Phil Lewis. I mean, at least Todd Tory sounds like Jeff Tate. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they and they made music. But like uh, that sounds like Queensryche. Jeff Tate didn't. Steve Riley. I mean, there's nothing there that says, oh, that's L.A. Guns. Oh, you know, like that song can play on the radio. I would have no fucking clue who that is I would not know the <laughs> you didn't singer
1: recognize I, the drums <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah oh
0: my god that's Stephen Riley on drums man the, oh, there are very few people in this world that you can recognize on drums John Bonham's one Lars Ulrich is another um and, and depending on how a, 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 a drum I, I don't sound know was recorded
1: John Bonham is definitely one and I would say Neil Peart and
0: well neil peart but the problem the thing with neil peart is is it like it's it's because it's rushed i don't think like if you heard neil peart somewhere else i don't know if we'd be we'd be able to recognize him but lars like you know it's lars on that merciful fate song because it sounds like lars eh. he's it's re- it's produced and recorded to make sure that lars comes up front and center on that drum beat and that's the that's the thing about Metallica, you know, you, it's 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 been so superimposed into the sound of Metallica that people don't realize that the two things that are most front and center is the snare drum and the guitar of James Hetfield.
1: Snare oh, drum of Lars I, I don't think anybody doesn't know that. <laughs>
0: No, I know that, but what I'm saying is it's just it's funny cer- because certainly not the bass of
1: Jason Newstead.
0: No, <laughs> it's definitely not the bass of Jason Newstead. But the Metallica's drum sound is distinctive to Lars. Okay. Much, much like during the nineties, all those new metal bands and stuff like that, they all had, you know, they they were all using that piccolo snare and they all had a very unique sound. Like I could pick out a a, a Primus song. But that doesn't necessarily mean I could out, pick out the Primus drummer. Yes. Y- you know, but like I said, we, when, when M- Lars Ulrich recorded that song with Merciful Fate, uh, I think it was Return of the Vampire on the reunion album, it was obvious that that was Lars Ulrich playing drums.
1: I mean, it was obvious as daylight to me, at least. But, um, but if you didn't see any, anything about it, like you didn't know who any of the members were, where you would just go, that's Lars. Almost, yeah. I, I would sit there and say that sounds a lot like Loris
0: on drums. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's 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 just the way it sounds. I would. The way well, it was. You're more of a Metallica fan than I am, so.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's like sometimes I hear certain songs and I say, "Oh, that sounds like so and so." You know, or or it's that sound like a band, a particular band, because they have a particular sound, you know. But in in the case of Lars, he is distinctively, and that's because that's the way he's produced, it, and and that's the way he's recorded, and that's the way they mix him. And of course, he has a ton of control on that mix, and recording and production and all that shit. So that's the reason why. Like you 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 couldn't tell Charlie, okay, how many people can sit there and say, oh that drum beat that's in the middle of make me laugh off the state of euphoria album is exactly the same as the drum beat. That's on one from Metallica on Justice for all, but it's very short and you, 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 it's almost hidden in the mix to some, to some degree, but shit, Lars isn't, you know, but it's the same damn, same damn drum beat. Yep. So anyway, that's my, my point is that Stephen Riley is so distinctive I could not tell when I heard that song if that, that was Stephen Riley. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Ellie Guns is just, it's it's just a sad sad state of affairs for that band and you know to have two competing albums come out, you know, and one sound terribly bad and you know. And it's funny there's zero distinction. They use the same exact logo. They use the same exact everything. And it's like seriously, at least at least Jeff couldn't he didn't use the Queensryche logo. I mean, I give him that much. I mean, he, he, he used the de used, Lee, but like he used a TriRÿch. He used a Reich, but it was I don't know. It was to me, it was different. I mean, you saw the name on it. It had a big FU on the ring in the front. Yeah. Oh, okay, you I mean get on that.
1: the on that album? I thought you meant on his yeah. his solo stuff. His solo oh, stuff un- uses a Florida Lee, which is supposed to look like a tri you know? Yeah,
0: he has. A, yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's a variation of the Florida Lee. Yeah. yeah, I get that. No, he used tri TriRyk logo on
1: the um, ring, the Fu ring. Yes, he did. Because he was trying to stay as as right No, and I I get it, but
0: like the um for the longest time had used a similar like like the Operation MineCrime. They they were like Motley Crue. their their QueensRyk name logo always changed. I mean, my favorite was the one that was on the, e- the first EP. That was a great logo, but they've changed every, every album. They use a different logo like Motley Crue. But anyway, LA Guns. Wow. That's just a fucking mess. <laughs> For real. All right. So the last big band that we're going to talk about tonight is going to be Judas Priest. Um, so the both of us are very familiar with Judas Priest, you know, one of our favorite bands, you know, top. Top ten for me, I'm probably top six or so. I know it's probably top five for you. Pretty close, Um, yeah.
1: If I mean top ten at least, yeah,
0: right, at least top ten. So, um, I mean. It's it's really not a big thing to have to describe Priest. You know, it started in 1969. The classic lineup consists of Halford on vocals, K.K. Downing on guitars, Glenn Tipton on guitars, Ian Hill on bass. And the classic drummer, um, the one that was there the longest up until Scott Travis, was Dave Holland. Um, They... Dave Holland left after Ram It down. Uh after Ram it down and Scott Travis has been in the band ever since. So since 1990 Travis has been in the band. Um think about that. That's what uh 10 doing 30, 30 plus years, 32 years. It's it's been a while for for Scott. That's why they're inducting him along with Dave Holland, along with Les Binks into the uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame uh under that special category that Judas Priest got got the participation award for. Um, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> anyway, um, so Priest has two issues. Um, Al Atkins in 1998. See this one, I think is is
1: lesser. But continue.
0: It's it's lesser. Yeah. Yes, it's lesser. Um, although, although. Okay. He has this album. So is the band the album called Victim of Changes? Yes it is. Okay. So the album's called Victim of Changes. Is that the one that has the the, the same cover that looks like Sin After Sin? That's
1: the issue that I have with it.
0: Right, okay. <laughs> so all right. Al Atkins was the original singer for Judas Priest, to the point where he, if I'm not mistaken, was he not the only well actually is he not the only original member of Judas Priest and, and it's like Ian Hill was not even a
1: founding okay, member So there's two bands called Judas Priest, right? There's his original band, which broke up, and then he formed reformed Judas Priest, which we know has KK Downing. Um, but yeah, Ian Hill was a member of that band. So okay. there is there is like this it was the same year, but um there is this kind of like Dis uh, what's uh, disputed history, of of Judas Priest, right? Where they say it like, oh, it formed back then. No, that wasn't technically the same band, but he used the same name because they liked the name and they wanted to use it again. Then when he left, he he okayed them continuing with using the name. So there was really no okay. ev- th- and no like discrepancy there. It wasn't that he didn't like. Oh, I, I you know that's my name. He gave it to them. So,
0: right. Okay. So, anyhow, he had he has zero, zero, and I put it this way, Dave Evans has one up on him. He has zero songs recorded on record as Judas Priest with him on vocals. Yes. Okay. Nothing. And basically, since the first album, it's been Rob Halford. So, this guy, in 1998, former lead singer of Judas Priest for all of however many months um, or a couple years, whatever, releases an album called Victim of Changes because, yes, he was one of the songwriters on the original version of Victim of Changes, which came out on Sad Wings of Destiny, which is Judas Priest's second album. And he forms this band with Paul May on guitars and Pete Ems on bass. Oh, and guess what? Dave Holland on drums, former Judas Priest drummer, which in in essence, Al Atkins had never had anything to do with Dave Holland, by the way, because that's three drummers down the line after Judas Priest has started.
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as recording with them, I think they actually were kind of all somewhat friends. You know, they were all mates.
0: Okay. That's fine. But even then, it's still a while away because Dave didn't join to what, 78? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And and Al left in what, 72? Something like that.
1: Yeah. It was was three or so drummers later, you know. Yeah. So so technically,
0: he's got no association with them. But anyway, they released this album. And okay, so I think he what? He he re recorded a version of Victim of Changes on it. But the biggest problem that you and I have is that the album cover is kind of an alternative ripoff of Sin After
1: Sin. That that one which, makes no sense to me. Because, like Al has nothing to do with <laughs> Like I'm fine with him using Victim of Changes. You know, he wrote that song. Like he that's that and it's a bluesier version. It's not the same. So he does his own version of it, which which is more true to the original. That's great. Fine. All fine and good. But why are you using as a sin after sin cover when that's multiple albums into Judas Priest's career? well after he left the band weird yeah
0: and it had he has nothing to do with that album cover yeah. i mean unless hey unless somewhere deep inside we don't know that either al or maybe even let's say ian or kk had that drawing or a a drawing or a sketch or an idea concept of that album and it was produced and and given for the sin after sin and then Al goes, hey, wait a second, you know, I, I I made that drawing, so let me go make my own version. It just doesn't make sense. I don't think so, let it, who knows? Let it fucking go, you <laughs> yeah. know? Let it go. You know, so anyhow, that's the first thing with, with Jewish Priest. That, that Al kind of falls into that category of living off a legacy, you know, that we've had discussions with
1: before. Again, I'm more okay with this one, even though, like, uh, we'll talk more about what we're going to talk about in a second. But, like, I I don't really view this one too negatively. It wasn't like he was out there trying to take Judas Priest's name or anything. And it's just him, you know, he ended up putting out more albums and stuff like that. That's that's fine. You You have to give up Not your yet. career as a musician sometimes to support a family. He wasn't making money. I get it. <laughs> um no ill will towards the guy whatsoever um but it's it's just kind of a weird situation with the the cover of the album right i mean and it's if it's if
0: anything it's just about the cover really because you know what he has every right to to, to record and name the album victim changes that's i don't have a beef with yeah. that you know it's just one of those it's just living off the legacy and i'm fine
1: okay i get that
0: Um, album cover questionable maybe you should have at at least he's
1: not putting out an interview every six weeks talking about the good old days and we were gonna take over the world (laughs) and you know oh another dave all right so instead
0: of starting at 2020 let's roll back 10 years to 2010 judas priest announced that they're having an epitaph tour this is supposed to be the retirement tour the farewell tour okay and um, it was one of those things where they felt. I, I guess the inner turmoil of the band is what kind of caused the the band to make an announcement that they were going to retire as a recording and touring unit. Maybe and maybe tour every so often, or or play a few shows. Um, but then, uh, so they do that tour. And I believe. Um, in the middle of the tour or during, I think the tour, a part like a leg of the tour ended and they were going to do another leg of the tour and they just kept dragging out the tour and KK was like, yeah, hey, I don't want to keep doing this, but there's reasons behind it that, that we'll talk about in a minute, in a few minutes, but KK basically comes out and announces I'm retiring from the band and instead of saying, okay, well, we're going to quit the band says, Oh no, we're gonna get another guitar player and we're gonna continue. And so of course, at that point, KK's, you know, all butthurt and shit like that. Well
1: so. he he did <laughs> he left, basically. He just pieced out during the tour and they had they hadn't fulfilled all their dates. So they had to get right. another guitarist. It wasn't just that like they were decided, oh never mind. It was it was more of a necessity. Well, right, exactly. You have to finish the tour, and that,
0: and that happens with everybody. But, like, for instance, AC/DC technically finished the tour after they decided, oh, we got to find another singer, but it was a couple years later. But that's a whole other story. Um, so, yeah, so they had to find a replacement, which they ended up picking up Richie Faulkner, who used to play for uh, Lauren Harris, with Lauren Harris's, Steve Harris's daughter. Um, and great guitar player. I mean, excellent guitar player. Looks like KK Downing, <laughs> oh, if you ask me, a, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. So anyhow, Junior, um, they fin, yeah, they finished a the tour, and after they finished the epitaph tour, they said, "Wait a second, we're not going to retire. We're going to go ahead and make new music." They got re-inspired. Richie gave them some more inspiration gave gave them a jolt that they hadn't had. And basically, what what we find out later is. That there was some conflict between KK and Glenn. With KK out of the picture, there's more harmony within the band. And all of a sudden, now the band feels better about themselves. And they decide they want to continue as a unit as opposed to, you know, basically bickering all the time and and not having fun on tour. I get it. That happens all the time. That's fine. That works. So now fast forward to 2020. 2020. Somebody named Kenneth, not me, decides he wants to put out an album, record some tracks. Hey, more power to you. You're allowed to do whatever you want. And then we find out the name of KK's album, a band album and everything. It is KK's priest. Now, I'm sorry. Legally, nobody can do anything. I get it. And that's where, you know, this falls in the category of living off your legacy, which hey, he's got a really long legacy. But it's one of those things like people know who you are. Get off of it. But, you know, you you can you have other commentary to say about it.
1: Well, I, I mean, I, this one's tough for me because I get where he's coming from. I get that, you know, there's all this drama in the band Especially after listening to Rob Halford's book, right? You 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 know that it's not as simple. It's not as cut and dry as just, you know, th- you're in the band or you're not in the band, right? There's a, there's a lot of drama that goes into being part of a brotherhood of a band, right? And you're, I mean, tra- yes, it's, it's always you're traveling with these people constantly. And we know that KK and Glenn had a rivalry, which brothers have rivalries right you know you want to be better than your brother or you want to show you know that you're just as good etc and they each were were soloists they each were excellent guitar players and i get that but they had always had this kind of you know back and forth relationship and as time was going on and they're they're getting older and they're you know you've lived this life for so long i get it it's not always going to be the same so especially when glenn was sick like i guess kk thought he would just be invited back to to fill in that position and and no like he left them in a lurch he left them in a bad position you know well to to kind of
0: to kind of follow up on that real quick in 2018 glenn tipton was um or actually glenn tipton revealed that he was diagnosed with parkinson's disease which he already knew knew that for mm-hmm. a while um and so he stepped down from touring he still recorded songs he still so he still was part of the recording process the songwriting process um not completely involved in like all every single aspect but uh you know for the most part uh, he was involved as much as he could be involved. Um, touring wise, they decided to get Andy Sneap, their producer, to to fill in for him on guitars. That's where KK got butt hurt because they didn't invite him back. Continue.
1: Yeah, so I it's one of those those subjects that's that's really tough because KK is very much responsible in his part for the sound of Judas Priest. It's just a fact, and so is Glenn, and so is Rob, and so is Ian, and even Dave Holland and and uh, um, Scott Travis. They're all responsible for this sound of this band, and so it's it's. If you're not allowed to be a member, if you're not allowed to come back into the fold, what do you do? You you come up with an album. You come up with something to put out, and the the problem is the his choice of name I think and it just it's always gonna sound kind of bad that he chose KK's priest even though the album to me was pretty dang good.
0: Oh the album's pretty damn good. Here's the so there's more to the whole KK's priest thing that we didn't mention. Okay. Who's the singer on KK's Priest album? Former Judas Priest vocalist Tim the Ripper Owens. Who's the drummer that's announced? Now here's the thing they could sit there and tell me till they're blue in the face that Les Binks played drums on the album, and that call no, bullshit. No, he
1: they didn't claim that. No, they he didn't. Okay, he because- toured with them when they first started, and then he he just either physically couldn't handle it, or like legitimately he did get injured when he was when he was performing, and he wasn't able to to continue playing with them. They got a new drummer, and it's you know is a much younger guy that that played more in the style of what like say Scott Travis does so you know that that works out better for the genre of music they're trying to play cuz i don't think Les Binks was going to be the right guy for that band
0: no absolutely not i mean he just he could not keep up with the band so you know for for what it's worth so you know i don't have a I do. I do have a problem with KK Priest's name. I get that. Uh, it, it's just like, yeah, he has a legacy. Yes, he has um the right to do something like that. But I still feel, hey, you know what? I got a band together with my former mates. Okay, we're going to come out. Dude, call yourself, you know, studded leather or something associated with the, with Priest, but not blatantly taking the Priest name. Because you know what? What do you and I from time to time call priest? Like I just did. We call him priest. Yeah. We know who that is. Everybody calls, even Rod, I mean when you listen to interviews, he goes, you know, oh, it's priest, 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 priest. You don't hear the Judas a lot. You don't want to get you don't want to stumble across the syllables. You just say priest. Mm-hmm. So for KK to turn around and call it KK's priest, he's trying to jump on that name. It is absolutely clear that that's what he's trying to do, but he could have easily called it KK's, you know, uh, Italian KK's Metal Gods, K- whatever. No, not Metal Gods because that would have that would have f- brought a lawsuit from Rob. Instantly, <laughs> you know, um, you the, know, the KK the, KK's Vengeance that would have been great. The but the you thing know?
1: is that basically nothing starting with K, everything would be fine. <laughs> Um, so, (laughs) so the thing is though, that there's that name recognition and I understand why they go after it because there's a built in fan base there. There's that. And when you're having to start, like, it's easy to say for the other guys, well, you know, you're, you're, you're taking our legacy. At least he wasn't, it wasn't Judas Priest. At least he didn't go out there going and calling himself Judas Priest. It's not like anybody was fooled and be like, wait, wait, wait. Judas Priest is KK's priest now? No, nobody got fooled by that. At least there's that, right? But there's that built-in name recognition. He's having to start fresh. Rob knows firsthand how hard it is to start fresh. It wasn't easy for fight it wasn't easy for for um for two <laughs> but but you know it's still part of the gig like if you have to go and start a new band man kk's what 50 something years old now no 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 no. 60? he's like in his mid 60s 60s okay that's that's tough for him to go start and play you know, and not have anybody know who the hell KK's priest is. So it, I'm again, a little it, it's, more lax on this one than some of the others. Yes. It's not as vindictive. It's as, not a
0: full-blown ripoff.
1: Yes. It's not as vindictive as, as, you know, calling yourself L.A. Guns. And- <laughs> no, L.A. Guns is a fucking mess. Um. Okay, so
0: we we've gotten to the point here now. We're going to... Talk about a few bands that may or may not have done it the right way. Okay, so since we're on the subject of priests, and since you just mentioned it, Rob Halford left Judas Priest in 1992, um, and along with it, he took the logo. (laughs) And uh, hit uh, originally he was in his intention was to return to priests. He just wanted to get a side project off his chest. That side project was Fight. Um, so it wasn't Rob Halford sitting there saying, I'm going to, you know, hijack the name priest because he wanted to do a side project. His intention was to go back to priest, but, um, communication problems. If pre- know, they commun- couldn't
1: just sit around, and wait for him forever either. You
0: know? No, I, I, when you read the, when you, if you read or listen to, to Rob's book, um, obviously, you know, it's, it, it Rob's going to be more one-sided towards his, um, he doesn't really explain that it took him forever to try and uh, get back to the band. But at the same time, it also, you know, there was, he admitted that he did not reach out, that he got scared to try and reach out. He didn't do what he should have done. Yeah. Um. So at least he admitted that. <clears throat> so um, after fight kind of dissolved, and, and, he, and in the book, he kind of mentions the fact that it was his f- idea and his mantra in terms of basically not wanting to repeat himself from one album to the next. That was the downfall of that album, of that band fight, because, yeah, you don't want to repeat yourself, but shit, you at least try to play the same music. <laughs> right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, He he came out with a different album and kind of tanked. Um, So then he decides to they end up breaking that band. He he comes up with two. He wants to do something, basically announcing that he's gay, which is uh, the project two. Uh, He does it with John Five, um, produced by I believe um, produced by uh, Trent Reznor. It it just didn't work um, for for one reason or another. Um, So in that it wasn't time. yeah exactly so in that time of reflection Rob started writing some songs and like literally reflective songs the song Resurrection is a song is basically the history of Rob Halford in Priest in Fight in Two and Halford it's a really great song it's a really great album that album um he named the band Halford okay that's you know he still didn't hijack Priest so he did things the right way yes um I, I liked it And then you know That led to The eventual reunion uh, Back in Judas Priest I I I liked the way He went about his business In terms of not trying to hijack Although he did Hijack the logo and Said you can't use it And They didn't Until he came back To the band Yeah so. but
1: he didn't Make his like Halford logo You know The Judas Priest logo At least No
0: <laughs> No he, he went Way out of his way To change things A lot um. Okay. So that's that's um. Judas Priest. Rob. However, he did things the right way. One band, interestingly enough, that done something. Um. Venom. they There. Currently, two Venoms out there. One's Venom. One's Venom Inc. Which is you know it's not like uh what do you call it? It's not uh mantis's Venom. It's not uh. You know, War Machine's venom is not Abaddon's venom. It's Venom Inc., which I think is a pretty cool way of going about being a dick and and stealing the <laughs> fucking name. <laughs> but it's a cool way of being a dick. Cool way of being a dick. Um, the band. So I mean, we all know who Venom is. Uh, well, not everybody, but Venom, one of the originators of the new wave of British heavy metal uh, uh, thrash metal, black metal, speed metal, all that shit, you know, motorhead kind of sounding band. Um, they were, they sounded just as bad as motorhead, um, but they were playing a, a different style of music. They are very influential in the world of black metal. Um, very uh, influential in, in lots of different cases. And their original members were um, Mantis, Cronus and uh, was it uh, Abaddon? Was the original drummer?
1: I believe so. Yes.
0: So they uh, they then you know through time bands change and they ended up getting this guy uh, Tony Demolition Man Dolan as their bass player and singer after uh, Cronus left. And Cronus' real name is Conrad Lant. And then he then Demolition Man left, and Cronus replaced him, and he's been in Venom ever since. Now, Venom exists with Cronus. He's the only original member. But now Venom Inc. has, uh, ha- at one point, had two original members. And they just now have one, with his, which is, uh, um, what's his face? Mantis, Jeffrey Dunn. And they have a different drummer. And they have the second Venom singer, which is uh, Demolition Man, Tony Dolan. So they're both going around playing as Venom it's it's confusing for sure um but i believe that's a legal thing that they have now going on so that they can perform that way realistically it's like why don't you just get that shit together
1: well you know i mean and,
0: and do the right thing
1: I, to some degree i'm i'm okay with it because it is that that like 90s lineup and there may be fans of that version of the band right and some we've seen with other bands that like say with um what's her name's uh, Jude, uh not just um uh, black sabbath black sabbath reformed the do era version of the band but as um heaven, heaven and hell. hell all i could think of was the devil you know and i was like that's not the name of the band so <laughs> so well that had everything to do with sharon osborne it did but i was i'm i was fine with that you know i was fine with that incarnation of the band having their own identity too so I'm in some regard. I'm like you know, them being Venom Ink is fine, because it's not it's not like they're just going as Venom and causing more strife and issue. It's the same logo. That <laughs> that is true. I don't know. With
0: with ink on them. it's a, it's a little weird. I mean, you know, I guess it doesn't piss me off as much because you know.
1: It, it's weird because
0: Tony's the second singer and he was there for a significant amount of time. I guess only six was it six years? Eight yeah, uh, six years. Something like that, they, yeah. I mean they released a bunch of, he I remember when he became a member of the band. Um I don't remember at what point he left, but I mean it's no, three I mean, albums. It's,
1: so I mean that's that's yeah, a significant so, amount of time to me.
0: But by that time, Venom was was just not the same band anyway. Um, recordings sounded better, per se, but they, they just weren't the same band anymore. They, the whole um, Satan thing kind of got worn out by that point. But um, anyhow, Venom exists in two different forms, Venom and Venom Inc. Um, another band that was pretty popular in the 80s, Rat, uh, have had some issues with... Um, bobby blotzer um the, for for a quick summary of rat you know they were big band in the 80s and you know, part of the quote-unquote hair metal scene um the 90s just kind of basically <laughs> put them <laughs> to destroyed <bed>. them <laughs> and <laughs> they just they, they, i mean they just couldn't keep up and the, the music didn't 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 go over very they, well. It wasn't. Um,
1: it wasn't even just the grunge scene. Like the the thrash guys didn't like them either. So they, no, yeah, they, they, yeah no, no,
0: it didn't work out for them. So, I mean, so they actually kind of uh, got back together in '99. They released a couple albums. Um, but anyway. In the mid the mid 2010s, they stopped becoming a regular touring unit. Bobby Blosser wanted to continue playing. So he basically literally hijacked the, the band to the point where he called a band meeting between him, Stephen Piercy, and Warren D. Martini, because they were WBS. They were the controlling interest of the band, or so he thought. And when they didn't show up to the meeting, he basically fired them and said, You know what? I'm here. I'm the only one here at this meeting. And I am uh, now taking control of WBS, which is, was, uh, Warren, uh, Bobby and Steven. That's what WBS stands for. And, um, so he decided to do, to go and tour as rat, not even Bobby Blotzer's rat, but as rat. And so he got sued by Juan Crozier or Cro. What how you ever say his name, of uh, the bass player? He got sued by Stephen on a separate occasion. He got sued by Warren Demartini. The first one to sue him was Warren, and he lost the suit because, you know, the judge didn't realize that Warren uh, that that Bobby had really basically pulled the wool over everybody's eyes by having this meeting, and declaring himself the sole owner of WBS. So Warren lost that injunction, but then Stephen and Juan sued successfully in two different cases. Bobby lost his his uh lawsuit but he kept touring as bobby um as rat excuse me and then eventually um they fired bobby well what happened was that the judge declared that the original rat partnership from 1985 was still valid and so because it was still valid that meant that steven and warren had a voice and so did juan and basically the three of them said you know what bobby goodbye Fired him. WBS doesn't exist anymore. And now Stephen Pierce is basically the only one in a rat because Warren doesn't want to tour anymore. Actually, Wand's with Stephen. Warren doesn't want to tour anymore. So, rat's a fucking messed up business, too. You know, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And Stephen doesn't want to do anything new under the rat name unless it's the original members, less Robin Crosby, who passed away. So, that's a clusterfuck mess right there, too. <laughs>
1: um, so, Another one we've mentioned in our uh, our new wave of British heavy metal episode was Grim Reaper. Um, Grim Reaper was, uh, you know, pretty much dissolved because of some legal issues. Um, they had worked with one studio that wasn't really supplying them what they needed. They recorded an album and it sounded horrible, so they went to another studio to record their third album again and then legal issues between them kind of just made him go you know what it's not worth it we're losing every dollar we have and they just kind of went their separate ways right and then um, years later. Steve Grimmett's getting a lot of requests every time he's playing you know people are yelling see you in hell um, so he's singing it live and he contacts Nick Bocott and says you know I really think we should get back together like this is this is an opportunity and Nick says well you know I'm living in the United States now it's not really going to work for me just uh, you know I have my full time job and I just can't do this so um, they agreed together and out of respect for Nick Bocott, um uh, And really, honestly, to the fans, Um, Steve Grimmett decided to call it Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper. And from 2006 to 2022, when he passed away, uh, he toured as Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper. Now, what's really cool about that is a few times when uh, they were able to make it happen, uh, Nick Bocott would play with them. So, um, you know, that's more of a a positive way of doing things. Um, I really respect... Uh, Steve Grimmett for the way he handled it. And uh, unfortunately, we did lose him uh, this year, earlier this year. And, uh, it's, you know, that's really too bad, but really a good way of handling things.
0: Yeah, he did things the right way. Um, there was never really any
1: animosity
0: between them. It was just a matter of logistics. And it was a matter of of just not being able to make it work. And that's it's understandable. But they worked out an agreement, and that
1: was fine. Yeah. Um, so another one uh, was is Guns N' Roses. So and specifically, I'm talking about Steven Adler with Adler's Appetite. Um, I don't really mind him going by Adler's Appetite. I mean, you know, it's really just a nod to the name of the first album, the only album he really was on. I mean, yeah, he has one song on on uh, the the was it the second um, Use Your Illusion? Yeah, he's on um, Civil, Civil War. War. Which one's, was on Use Your Illusion Two, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, he was already out of the band at that point. But so his entire career really with with Guns N' Roses is prior to that first album and the first album. Um, You know, for him to do this. He, so he puts together a, a band and I can't remember the, the name of it before. Um, but so he, he puts together a band and then he they come up with the name Adler's Appetite. Starts it in 2003. This is around the time that he is working on his drug addiction and trying to get clean and trying to have a a sober life and so part of that is him getting back out into the world and doing the thing that he loves and not having that addiction as well so i'm it's more of a positive thing guns and roses doesn't have any problem with it either which i think is really kind of cool they've they've done a few things with him um involving that and i know like he desperately wants to be back you know touring with them even playing one or two songs or something um but it's just you know i understand their history and their their issues with him as well too but for this to me it, it's not a negative thing whatsoever
0: no, not at all. I mean, it, it obviously, you know, he's got to play on words off of the, the first album. It's a way for him to make a living. I get it. I Every mean, yeah. you know all these issues that we're having that, that we're talking about are a way for most of these players to make a living. But I believe in in um Steven's case, it's more about literally making a living playing clubs. And he, he wants to use his name recognition to be able to get fans in. I mean, he's not going to sell out arenas no. with Adler's Appetite. But he was also recorded original music, which is which is great. Um, You know, Jizzy Pearl was in and out of the band uh, a few times. So it's it's just a way for him to have to make a living. I get it. You know, some of the ones like Zaxxon, uh, that was just outright stealing. You know, L.A. Guns. Stephen Riley could sit there and say it's a way for me to make a living, but you're making money off of the fact that you own the name. And for him, he could still make a living because he's, you know, what's, what's, what is calling LA Guns going to get him? What, an extra 10 fans at the show? He's only got 50. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? You know? That wolf. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I, I don't mind. I don't have a problem with Stephen Adler and Adler's appetite. All right, last but not least, um, so we get this over with, um, Great White, um, Jack Russell, um, ended up leaving the band in twenty eleven. Well, twenty ten he got sick. 2011, 2012, Finally, he he tells the band he's not he's going to actually tour his own. Jack Russell's Great White. They sue him. The lawsuit ends up being where um, was it Michael Lardy, uh, the 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 oh, uh, Tony Montana I think is the is the bass player's name and. Uh, oh no! It's not Tony. It, it, Tony was a bass player. It wasn't him. It was uh, the drummer who got who was part of the band that got rights. And then of course Mark Kendall, the guitar player. They they successfully sued Jack Russell for the rights of the name Great White and all his uses. But they were kind enough to license the name Great White to Jack Russell, and Jack Russell can now play as Jack Russell's Great White, and both bands exist. Yay for them. Um, it's that's another mess. It's not as bad as freaking
1: LA Guns, but it's another. That mess. one was kind of sad too because Jack had gotten injured, and while he was injured, then they basically just kicked him out of the band. Yeah,
0: there's. I think there's a lot more to it than 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 that simple. But yeah, it 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 comes across that way, and it's funny because you know there was supposedly so much. Saying, he's gonna be back. He's gonna be back. He's gonna be back. And he said that he was gonna be back, and then all of a sudden, yeah. Well, he has to meet all these criteria before he can get back. And he's like, what? You know, I didn't know that. And <laughs> then he said, fuck it, I'll make my own band. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. That is the end of band splits. I hope that uh, we didn't grieve or or air too many grievances tonight. <laughs> Make it sound completely negative, but hey, you know what? This was um, just a way to get shit off our chest. All right, so that brings us to tonight's big four, and oddly enough, it is the big four LA Guns songs. Um, this was a tough one for both of us. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Go out on a limb there. I'm gonna say I don't have anything from Stephen Riley's versions of LA. Guns. Oh, mine
1: is all Stephen Riley's LA guns.
0: No, I'm sure. Sh- <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, no, I want to no, hear that. No, it's not. <laughs> no, all right. Um, uh, who went first last time? You uh, and me? Go you ahead.
1: I, I I'll I'll concede right. on this one. Go and just enjoy <laughs> right. yourself there.
0: I'm. Um- <laughs> I'm more familiar with LA Guns than you are, but at the same time, I, I, I cut them off at, like, 1988. <laughs> so oh, yeah, so did I. I did. was too. <laughs> anyway, um, number four for me is a song that came off of their Vicious Circle album, um, and that song is called Killing Machine. Now, if anybody knows that song out there, um, I can tell you what. That does not at all sound musically like an LA gun song so much. So it actually fooled me at first. And I thought it was master of puppets from Metallica. Cause that riff was stolen straight from Metallica, but okay. I let it go. It's a cool song. It's probably the heaviest song. I mean, mind you, I didn't listen to everything in the catalog, but it's probably one of their top five heaviest songs, if not the heaviest that they've ever recorded. Uh, and so I thought it was pretty cool. um, Number three for me is off the self-titled debut album. It's a song called Sex Action. Um, in my opinion, this is the song that really got L.A. Guns all the buzz and, and put them you know, up a notch uh, in the eyes of fans out there. Uh, number two is the song Never Enough that comes off the Cocked and Loaded album. It That's got a cool and catchy riff, uh, cool and catchy melodies, and a cool and catchy chorus. So it's very cool and catchy. Um and it's some really good guitar work on that song, and then number one for me also off of Cocked and Loaded is the song Rip and Tear. That's just got an awesome riff. It's re- the 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 tone on that. Uh, I guess it's the key is a little bit lower. It just has a really good vibe to that song. It's also very catchy. It's got a lot of attitude. I like that song. My favorite uh, LA Guns song.
1: Okay. Um, I think I think we have one crossover. Um, wow. So my number four is actually a newer song um, I I'm not super familiar with guns uh, guns and roses uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not <laughs> super familiar with la guns uh, discography but I became familiar with it today unfortunately and <laughs> um, I listened to a lot and uh, there was some good stuff don't get me wrong but there was some. Uh, stuff that sounded just like the last song I had heard for a while. And I was like, man. Um, but they have some really cool album covers, too. Uh, I thought that was some interesting stuff that I'd missed. So anyway, um, my number four was a new song called Cannonball. Of, uh, I believe it's off of Checkered Past, the new, new album. Um, it's kind of cool, like uh, legitimately more heavy than some of the stuff that I'd heard from their early career. Um, my number three is One More Reason off of LA Guns. I thought that was a really cool track. Um, you know, a little bit more of that early LA scene sound to it. Um, I Want to Be Your Man is my number two off of Cocked and Loaded. I liked Rip and Tear, but I liked this one a little better, to be honest. Um, maybe that would be something that over time may change and these are but these are my gut reactions my initial things and then um killing machine was my number one that was one that uh when i heard it i was like is this the right band (laughs) (laughs) right i it's so heavy comparatively to everything else like i didn't i didn't get any like i i didn't to me like pick up anybody else sound in that but i was i also thought i legitimately was listening to the wrong band <laughs> so. i i i
0: legitimately thought that the riff was master puppets the part right before they yeah it's similar you know, after after the intro yeah a, after the intro there's that um part where the drums stop and it's just james yeah. playing that riff sounded a little bit like that. It's, to it's me. a
1: similar rhythm, but it's different notes, like completely different notes. Yeah, so, yeah, I get where you 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 have that similarity. Um, but damn, like really different. And Vicious Circle actually is not, as a whole, like listening to what I heard of it is not that bad of an album. Um, but. No, they were still trying to make it back then. Yeah, but <laughs> Or keep keep it alive. But that was in the nineties. So I mean yeah, just different time I guess. Anyway, that was that was um my big four. So I I, I I liked actually a couple of the songs that you had on yours, but I think my experience with LA Guns is just not that like you know it was basically today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, you and I both admit we're not big fan- fans of LA Guns. We're not big fans of LA Guns' business dealings either. Um, and essentially, the we chose bit LA guns for the big four tonight because we had already done all the other bands as a big four for, for songs and mo- some albums. So we chose to reach out a little bit on into the unknown. And this is what we came up with. So we hope that you guys can listen to a couple of those songs that we picked and, and enjoy them for yourselves as well. Yeah, Pretty good stuff. All right. Yeah. So that's our big four LA gun songs for tonight. And that's the end of this week's show. Um, you know, the drill, click like subscribe or download your favorite or download onto your favorite device.
1: Do it for us. Do it for yourself. You'll feel really good about it when you do that. And don't forget to leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring that bell to be notified when we post a new episode. So tune in next week for another episode as we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya.